and broke. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Have you ever wondered why America? What is our purpose? Do we have a holy purpose? Do we have any kind of purpose? Or do we just happen? Was it just a happenstance? And if it's just a happenstance, then where is our hope? Today, on Viewpoint, we're going to connect our hope with our purpose. Our hope with our purpose. And yes, indeed, we have a purpose. If you don't have a purpose... You don't live much in the way of hope. You just live day to day, lollygagging around, doing whatever. It's a whatever life. But God never ordained this nation to be a whatever nation. He didn't ordain Israel to be a whatever nation. In fact, there are only two nations in the earth that I'm aware of that were based upon a covenant, a godly covenant. One was Israel and the other America. One Jewish, the other Gentile. Both are failing in their purpose. Both, therefore, have languished in their, or languished, actually, in their hope. But today on Viewpoint, we're going to reiterate that purpose in order to resurrect hope. That is, resurrect hope for those who will be willing to hear where that hope really lies. And so I welcome you to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer. This conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. Today, we're going to divide our focus between setting the stage for a hope and a purpose, understanding who we were supposed to be, whether we are that people today, and if not, why not, and then move from there in the second half of the program to looking at the political aspect. You see, the political aspect is merely a somewhat short-term application of the greater hope and purpose. But if we do not understand the greater hope and purpose in the context of or understand politics in the greater context of a hope and a purpose, We're missing the boat. We're just not going to get it. And we'll be in continued confusion and frustration. In my book, Renewing the Soul of America, we have a chapter titled, A Hope and a Purpose. A Hope and a Purpose. And I want to share some thoughts with you uh, concerning that particular chapter because I believe that now more than ever, we have a national purpose, and we need to grasp it. We need to identify that purpose because it will define our destiny or, regrettably, determine our destruction. So how far back do we have to go to pinpoint our purpose? Do we have to go back to the very first settlers because of their defining purpose that should become our defining purpose? 
That is, unless we abandon our heritage. So that's what we're going to do. That's exactly what we're going to do. And so in order to cut it short, or shorten the story a little bit, I just want to declare to you, America as a nation owes her birth to what is called the Great Commission. Not the Great Commandment, the Great Commission. So as you might ask, well, what is the Great Commission? Well, Jesus, after his crucifixion and resurrection, he ascended to heaven, to God the Father, and just before his ascension, he gave to his church the following simple instructions. They are known as the Great Commission. Listen carefully. Go ye and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe or obey all things whatever I have commanded you. That's the Great Commission. It's very simple. The problem with America is that we have shortchanged the Great Commission and turned it into a means of almost marketing the gospel, looking to baptize people rather than teach them to obey God. In fact, in many respects, that's where Israel made her mistake. She wanted to have more Israelites, but they weren't being taught to obey God. And because they weren't being taught to obey God, over years, God said, okay, you're failing in your purpose. I'm going to send you to Babylon, or I'm going to have the Assyrians come in and take you over and spread you throughout the world. I'm not going to put up with this failure of the fundamental purpose that I have ordained you for. And so here we are as Americans, a Gentile nation, being born under this great commission. And those words have inspired and motivated followers of Christ for the past 2,000 years to take the gospel or the good news of Christ around the world into all nations. (coughs) In fact, we're well aware that many people have toiled and suffered great hardship, even loss of life itself, to accomplish that holy purpose. And although this holy enterprise often became entangled with the pursuit of unholy prizes, with holy ends being used to justify unholy means, the divine purpose has persisted through 20 centuries to the brink of the seventh millennium. That's where we are now. We're in the seventh millennium. So in one sense, you could say hope has sprung eternal, with many people believing that this seemingly impossible commission might finally be accomplished in our generation. And for that reason, the end-time words of Christ to his disciples are engraved rather dramatically above the entrance to the headquarters of the Christian Broadcasting Network. If you were to go out to Virginia Beach, here's what you would read. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Would you like to know when the end will come? When the gospel of the kingdom is preached to all the world for a witness to all nations. And when the people are taught not that Jesus saves, just that Jesus saves, 
but that he must be obeyed as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, whatever you might think about Christopher Columbus in our generation, he's Christopher Columbus has fallen on very hard times in our generation, as you know. But believe it or not, his was a great commission vision that paved the way to the new world in preparation for the first settlers <coughs> excuse me, to arrive on these eastern shores. So even though he pursued gold, he also was convinced that God had given him a holy mandate to carry the gospel to heathen lands. His very name, the Christ Bearer, is very significant. And he said, quoting the book of Isaiah, Listen to me, O coastlands, you peoples from afar. The Lord call me from my mother's womb. I will give you as a light to the nations. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Today in this first segment of Viewpoint, we're taking a look at our hope and purpose as a nation, America. When Christopher Columbus wrote or quoted the book of Isaiah, he said this, Listen to me, O coastlands, and hearken you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from my mother's womb, I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Now, he was quoting Isaiah that was referring actually ultimately to Jesus as Messiah, the Savior of the world. But Christopher Columbus saw himself as an agent of that salvation. He really believed that fundamentally, at the very root and cause of that which drove him to work for years to get the three ships together to sail across the uh, ocean blue in 1492, that the main reason was to spread the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, let's shift from there very quickly to Virginia, to America beyond Christopher Columbus. A fellow by the name of Richard Hacklett was one of the Queen's scholars there in England, and God gave him a vision for the colonization of America. His crusade for that colonization didn't become a reality for a whole generation. In fact, in 1584, he wrote a defense for American colonization in what he called Discourse on Western Planting. And here was his statement. The blessed Apostle Paul, the converter of the Gentiles, in Romans 10, writes in this manner, Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on him whom they have not heard? 
And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? Then, it is necessary, wrote Hacklet in 1584, for the salvation of those poor people which have settled so long in darkness, that preachers should be sent to them. By whom should these preachers be sent? By them, no doubt, which have taken upon them the protection of the Christian faith. The kings and queens of England, defenders of the faith, by which title I think they are so enlarged and advanced the faith of Christ according to the commandments of our Savior Christ. Well, <clears throat> that was in 1584. By 1607, 1606, that vision was reiterated in what became known as the Virginia Charter. Here was the stated purpose for colonization in the first Virginia Charter. We, greatly commending and graciously accepting of their desires to the furtherance of so noble a work, which may, by the providence of Almighty God, hereafter tend to the glory of His divine majesty, in propagating of the Christian religion to such people as yet live in darkness and ignorance of the true knowledge and worship of God, may in time bring the infidels living in those parts to human civility and to settle and quiet government, do by these our letters, patents, graciously accept of and agree to their humble and well-intended desires. Now, based upon that first Virginia Charter, the cross of the covenant was first planted on American soil in 1607. A fellow by the name of Virginius Dabney, in his renowned book called Richmond, the Story of a City, records in the opening words of the first chapter that after the English settlers and explorers planted a cross at the Cape on the Chesapeake Bay, they sailed to Jamestown, after which, after 10 days, they sailed up the James River. Here's what he said. Over the seething rapids of the James River and into the silent forest echoed a great shout, followed by a prayer for our king and our own prosperous success in this his action. One-armed Christopher Newport, had led a small band of intrepid English explorers upriver from Jamestown, had planted a wooden cross at the falls near the heart of today's downtown Richmond. The date was May 24, 1607. When the Lord spoke to my heart, that my wife and I, back in 1993, after first forming Save America Ministries, as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation to rebuild the foundations of faith and freedom, he spoke to us one evening and said, I want you to leave everything you have. I want you to leave 30 years of business, ministry, and political investment in Southern California. I want you to leave your, your law practice at the height of your career. I want you to leave all the ministry endeavors that you've been involved with, and I want you to go to the birthplace of the nation, and I'll show you what to do. And so we said, yes, sir. That evening, we went home. At that time, the Internet was not available, <coughs> so I pulled down an atlas, book of maps and so on, from our family room wall and laid it on the floor, 
And I said, okay, Lord, here is the East Coast of America, our nation's capital, Virginia, the capital of Virginia, Richmond, and so on. Where do you want us to go? There was not even a second, shall we say, moment of consideration. Even though I was a practicing lawyer, Washington, D.C. was not even a choice. Not even to be considered. What was to be considered was the birthplace of the nation. Richmond, Virginia, 1607, where the Cross of the Covenant was first planted here in 1607. So we immediately began to make arrangements. <coughs> From Richmond, Virginia, when the chairman, chairwoman of the National Day of Prayer Task Force understood that we were going to be leaving California and coming here, she said, would you please seriously consider becoming the head of the National Day of Prayer Task Force for the entire Commonwealth of Virginia. And I did for four years. And in the process of that, attempted in every possible way to renew that covenant, that hope and a purpose, yes, even among pastors. It was an uphill battle. We met at the mayor's, excuse me, the uh, governor's home. We gathered together the governor and some of the key leaders of the Commonwealth at that time. George Allen was then the governor. And we held hands together around that conference table and prayed and redeclared God's vision for our country and for the Commonwealth of Virginia. That is a part of the story, part of the errand into the wilderness, so to speak, because indeed America has become a wilderness. Our initial founders came to what seemed to be a wilderness, and now it has become a different kind of wilderness, a wilderness lacking hope and purpose. When the Mayflower Compact was signed in 1620, it was an extraordinary document up there in Massachusetts because it set forth the principles of representative government by the people to effectuate the greater life purpose of the people. The civil government facilitated or undergirded through civil liberty the proclamation of spiritual liberty in Christ. And here is what it said. In the name of God, amen. In other words, so be it. We whose names are underwritten have undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith and honor of our king and country a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. Do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God and one another covenant and combine ourselves together into a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of these ends. Now, I want to make it clear. The purpose was not political. The purpose <coughs> was spiritual. The carrying out of the Great Commission, which involved 
baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and more fundamentally, teaching them to obey everything that God had commanded. And in furtherance of that purpose, they covenant and combined themselves into a civil body politic to keep order and to help assist in the ends or the purposes for which they landed. The purpose of government in America, the purpose of our Constitution, the purpose of our laws is for the undergirding purpose of carrying out the Great Commission. Now, this may be a little bit hard to stomach, but it is true. If we have lost sight of that, our destiny is in great jeopardy. We can have all the political successes or wars that we want to have, but if they're not carried out in the name and with the fundamental undergirding purpose, we've lost it. We're just wandering in the wilderness from shore to shore, whipped about by every wind of doctrine, by every political whim, and we have lost our purpose and our meaning. Now, it's true. Undoubtedly, many who came to America were not motivated by that noble purpose. It's that way everywhere, isn't it? Probably even in your home. And those who came with that purpose oftentimes failed to carry it out. Of course, you've never known anybody like that, right? Even in your own church. Notwithstanding the failures of men, God honored the dedication of America's early founders by sending revival to America generation after generation and by establishing her as the greatest missionary nation the world has ever known. So the recitation of the Great Commission is so important, both politically and legally, where it has provided the only foundation upon which the United States of America may claim its legitimacy as a nation. Now, those are strong words, I know, but it's true. Now, here is something very fascinating. All but one of the original 13 colonies found as its purpose the Great Commission. They didn't just seek religious liberty alone. Rather, the civil government's insurance of religious liberty in the temporal realm was to provide a secure and favorable environment from which to display and deliver an eternal message of salvation from the bondage of sin through the Savior, Jesus Christ. So the real purpose for colonizing America was a missionary one, to extend the Christian faith to a people who did not know God. What's our purpose today? Do we even have a purpose today? You see, fulfillment of the Great Commission was an essential element of our earliest founders' covenant with God. They saw themselves as covenantly commissioned.
John Winthrop, a godly attorney there in 1630, when he landed uh, four boatloads of Puritans, wrote his model of Christian charity, and he said, Thus stands the case between God and us. We are entered into covenant with him for this work, and we've taken out a commission. But if we neglect to observe these articles and dissembling or playing games with our God shall embrace this present world and prosecute our carnal intentions, seeking great things for ourselves and our posterity, the Lord will surely break out in wrath against us and be revenged on such a perjured people, and he will make us pay the price of the breach of such covenant. What is the price? Now, I want to make a message of hope available to you today called Renewing the Soul of America. An $18 book, yours for $15. It will open your heart and your mind. It will transform you by informing you. It's on our website, saveus.org. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, Prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. We've set the stage for the second half of the program here today, trusting that our guest will make it. (coughs) But while we wait for him, John Winthrop, that godly attorney who landed four boatloads of Puritans, uh, there in 1630 in the Massachusetts Bay Colony, said, if we deal falsely with our God in this work that we have undertaken and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us, we shall be made a story and a byword throughout the world. Isn't that to a certain extent what is happening? Are we seeing that happening? We shall open the mouths of enemies to speak evil of the ways of God and all believers in God. Are we not seeing that happen? In the spread, rather, of the gospel, the spread of pornography and all kinds of so-called things called Western morality? He said, we shall shame the faces of many of God's worthy servants and cause their prayers to be turned into curses upon us till we are forced out of the new land. Hmm. Is that possible, that we could be forced out of this new land one way or the other? The problem is, you see, we are, as a nation, becoming increasingly a story and a byword throughout the world. We're despised for our pride. 
derided for our morals and denigrated for our materialism. We have as a nation opened the mouths of enemies to speak evil of the ways of God while professing to be a nation under God. How is it that we have the highest rates of social breakdown among the industrializations, including the highest divorce rate, the highest murder rate, the highest violent crime rate, the highest illegitimate rate, the highest sexually transmitted disease rate? It's unbelievable. We're shaming the faces of many of God's worthy servants. Pulpits that once flamed with a call to righteousness now flow with a call to political correctness. The pursuit of happiness has replaced the pursuit of holiness, and the fear of man has preempted the fear of God. And because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, having lost holy fear, we are confounded now, and shame has covered our faces. Now, what can we do about it? Is there any link between our spiritual calling as a covenant people to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and our politics. That's what we want to talk about in this second half of the program today with our special guest who is joining us, Dick Morris. Dick, it's good to have you on the program, brother. Are you there? Hello. Yes, hi. All right. Are you there, Dick? This is Dick Morris, yes. Okay, good. All right. We are ready to roll. The introduction... Okay, how long the introduction to your book, The Return, says all is not lost. Thank God we live in a democracy. Actually, we live in a republic with regular elections and what liberty and a democratic republic have lost in one cycle could be restored in the next. However, you say very prophetically, it's our last chance. Now, when you make that statement, it's almost like we've heard it before. This election is the greatest, most dangerous, most uh, determinative election in the history of mankind. The nation is at stake. We're always told the stakes have never been higher. Pundits are constantly telling us that. So what is it, Dick, about this particular election that causes you with such great uh, authority and even vehemence to announce it's our last chance. So we lost the last one. <laughs> Very simple. <laughs> the last election was all the stakes in the world, and we lost. We didn't lose legitimately, but we lost. And if we lose, and this is our last chance to get it back, uh, we're behind. We're down in the count. Okay, and but what is it we're trying to get back? Over. In order well, to understand what we've got to get back, we have to understand start. what we lost. And in the first half of the program, I spent the entire half hour talking about what we lost or have given up over the past 200 years, and that is our hope and our purpose. So the purpose of politics is not power. The purpose of politics, as our founders have said, is to bring order and stability in the nation so that we can fulfill our underlying covenant with God or purpose. Yes. So what are you asking me? Well, I'm just kind of throwing it out. We're here. This, this is you and me, and we're having a discussion concerning a book that you have written called The Return. Well, you asked what's at stake. Let me answer yeah, that. Yeah, good for you. Uh, the, uh, the 
Democrats want to subvert our entire system of free elections and or Republicans, you put it. Right. And uh, that's they, obvious, uh, isn't it? And they're, they're doing that because they have they've got to defeat Donald Trump, uh, because if they don't, Trump will take this country away from them. All right. So let's and, talk about and, that. Because... And undermine women and undermine their their party by taking away their base. OK, it's so like it's about there, there power. A statue. It's about a statue. power from their, from their finish, position. Man. There's a statue and they're about to take away the pedestal. And it's going to come crashing down. And the pedestal is the working class vote, the Latino vote, and the millennial vote. Uh-huh. And Trump is in the process of stealing all three of those from them. So they have to stop them. Okay. So looking at it at the on the near vision, it's about undermining power perks and position uh, <clears throat> of the Democrat Party. On the greater view, it seems to me, that it's also about globalism because the entire Democrat party has embraced a new vision for America that would merge our country with all the other countries of the earth, especially the Western countries and restore a resurrected Roman empire. What say you? Yeah. Well, I think you're completely right. I wrote a book about 10 years ago called here come the black helicopters that made the case that globalism was the objective of the left. And I said then, and I repeated some of it in in this book, The Return, that the old European system of aristocracies and nobilities running their countries, inherited nobilities. By the way, Thomas Jefferson said, noble means not able. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) Great pun. And uh, I said that the old system of aristocracies running the country is now being replaced by so-called meritocracies uh, based on academic achievement and and uh, and allegedly intelligence. In fact, it's based on being able to access the best schools and come out of them with degrees, which is basically the same as inherited titles as it used to be. Uh-huh. And that what they have in common with the old nobility is a pathological distrust and hatred of democracy. Okay, so while they're back, crying, hold on just a second, Dick. So why they're crying democracy, 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 our democracy, they're actually deceiving the people because they don't believe even in the fundamentals of that. You're right. And why are they messing with the United States like they are? It all goes back to 1980 when Francois Mitterrand was elected president of France. And he was a socialist. Mm-hmm. He nationalized everything. Uh, the oil companies, chemical companies, drug companies, railroads, utilities, the whole bit. And all of the capital in France fled to Ronald Reagan's America and Margaret Thatcher's Britain. And France crashed. Their economy fell apart. And Mitterrand was soundly defeated in the next election by my client, Jacques Chirac, who was running for president. And um, Mitterrand uh, had to go ahead and privatize everything he'd nationalized uh, because he, he just totally surrendered. And that taught the socialists a lesson. You cannot get socialism on the European continent if you let Britain and America stay committed to free enterprise. 
or stay, com- stay committed to the original uh, covenant calling uh, to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is at the very root and foundation. We just laid out all the facts in the uh, first half of the program here today. So it's not just about politics. Politics are for the purpose of supporting a greater purpose. And if we think that the real problem and the real calling is political power, we're going to miss it, even regardless of which power, which uh, uh, <clears throat> Democrat, Republican, or Independent, or anybody else uh, gets in power. So that brings yeah. us to the next question, because your book is about Donald Trump. It's called The Return, and your conviction is that Donald Trump is, shall we say, the only political hope for the future of America. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. So why do you say that? Well, first of all, he's the only one who has been a successful president at moving us in the right direction. Uh, and the I, I worked for Clinton and I worked for Trump. Mm-hmm. And I know that regardless of which party you're in, the bureaucracy and the special interests move the country in a certain direction. Right. And changing its course is a very tall order. Very tall indeed. And Donald Trump succeeded in doing it. He succeeded in replacing the doctrine of laissez-faire capitalism with American nationalism. All right. So why why do you say that's good, though? Let me just just explain some of these ideas, okay? I'm I'm economical with words, but let me get them out. Um, The core of the Republican Party is free flow of labor and goods. That was Adam Smith's mantra. Uh-huh. And he, Trump said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to put America first. A free flow of labor means that workers can come in and take all of our jobs. Free flow of goods means Chinese companies can put us all out of business by unfair trade practices. And Trump superseded that gospel with American, with economic nationalism. And that was... Uh, fundamentally at variance and offensive to the power structure in the country. Indeed it was, and we're going to talk more about the application and implications of that after this coming break. Friends, the book is called The Return. It's a hardbound book. It's for $16 on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. We'll be right back with you and with more. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. As always, it's conversation with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. 
We're not here to inform primarily, but here to bring transformation. Information without transformation leads to frustration, stagnation, and termination. So as we talk with uh, Dick Morris here concerning his uh, new book, The Return, uh, he calls it Trump's Big 2024 Comeback. The question that I have for you, Dick, uh, in fact, there are a number of questions and permutations of those questions, but when uh, Donald Trump came in and descended the golden staircase, so to speak, uh, to make his announcement that he was going to run for president. It was a great shakeup to many in our country, a great shakeup to uh, not just the Democrat Party, but many in the Republican Party who are all globalists. And uh, then he came out with the statement or campaign slogan, Make America Great. Then the next one, make America great again. The whole concept that he was portraying was totally antithetical to everything that the Democrat Party and many in the Republican Party, including the George W. Bushes of the world, believed. Why was that such an assault on their sensibilities? Because they have been brought up and educated to see the globe as one, the ideal of one world. Uh-huh. And since they're in the elite in the United States, that's the environment they live in. Uh, their next-door neighbor is China. Their business partner is Japan. Their source of labor is Mexico. Their construct is entirely globalist. Uh, they're more at home with people from across the ocean than people from across the street. And they have no idea what's happening in the United States. In their air-conditioned offices, they, the only thing they think about is climate change, but they never feel <laughs> yeah. the climate. And uh, the elites are totally separate from their constituency. Uh, it's the first time in history that the elites have not shared our background. Isn't mobility, that interesting? For example, is there mobility? <laughs> that's that's very example. interesting, Dick, because Donald Trump was a multi-billionaire, and uh, you would think that he would be sharing the viewpoint of all of these other folk, but he doesn't no. share that viewpoint. He has a very different viewpoint, and he believes that in order for America to fulfill its purpose and calling, however he conceives it that we must be restored to the kind of government that was originally intended under the Constitution and declared by our forebears uh, going all the way back to John Winthrop in 1630 and some of these others. He was set aside as a dramatically different candidate. What say you then about this since you for many years, represented Bill Clinton. Well, first of all, I agree with every, every syllable of what you just said. Thank you. And, uh, and I think it's profound, and I think it's important. Um, Bill, I, I haven't changed my views at all. They're what they were uh, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. It's the land, it's the Democratic Party that's changed. I, I used to live on the 50-yard line, but now that's in the end zone. <laughs> uh, that's Bill, cute. Bill Clinton... Bill Clinton built a wall on the southern border. 
make mandatory minimum sentences the key provision of federal law. Mm-hmm. And the feds took over most of the criminal prosecutions under that. He uh, required welfare recipients to work. He set a time limit for them to be on welfare. He balanced the federal budget. So Bill Clinton, I agree with most of what Bill Clinton did, and I still do. The only problem is he doesn't believe it anymore. Yeah, and you certainly didn't believe what he did with Monica. Well, come on. Let's talk (laughs) politics. Okay. So as we look at this greater picture now, we're looking at 2022 midterm elections, and it seems that there is a uh, some kind of a shift taking place. Then we're looking at 2024 and the monumental efforts that are being made to try to destroy uh, Donald Trump personally, politically, financially, in every possible way way why those efforts is this really that big a deal that the democrat party and many in the republican party would fight to the death to destroy somebody who actually did wonderful amazing things for our country over a period of four years are they really that desperate well yes three or four questions let me go back and say there is no switch the republican party is on route to win a huge number of seats and control both houses. The second question you ask is, why are they so desperate? And the answer is that their entire lives are based on the premise of globalism, not nationalism. So when you say he did wonderful things, the the balance of the sentence is for this country. But they'll say, is the balance of the sentence should be for the world. All right, so that's the reason why George Herbert Walker Bush... The 41st president of the United States voted for Hillary Clinton instead of Donald Trump. Exactly. And uh, and they see it from a totally different perspective. Don't think of vertical boundaries, national boundaries. Think of horizontal boundaries, class boundaries, with the elites on one side and the rest of the world on the other side. Mm. And it's a wonderful book I'm just in the middle of called um, The Revolt of the Elites by Christopher Lash, who wrote The Culture of Narcissism. And he makes the point that for the first time in history, the elites are now so totally divorced from the rest of the country, the rest of the world, that they don't know what's going on. Uh, they don't live in one neighborhood. They don't uh, improve that neighborhood. They don't invest in the neighborhood. Travel is their fundamental thing. They regard the world as tourists. Well, it sounds like it sounds like a reiteration of the French Revolution on steroids. Well, the French Revolution was not in any sense globalist. No, it, it wasn't. Was, uh, but uh, yeah. is that the spirit of the French Revolution is exploding in our faces? Well, the communist theory that the, that there's a working class, but the elites have completely abandoned the working class. Mm-hmm. The first thing you learn when you land in America is the Working class votes Democrat and the elites vote Republican. That's completely flipped now. Yes, it has. And, uh, and it's flipped as a result of Reagan from a social point of view and a religious point of view and under Trump from an economic and a political point of view. And the elites can't stand that because it's a fundamental existential challenge to their existence. 
All right, I want to bring up one final uh, aspect here, Dick, and it may be as important as anything else we talk about. Uh, Many years ago, when uh, George W. Bush was uh, our president, he was invited to speak to the National Religious Broadcasters uh, Association, of which I'm a member, and I was there. And it was as if the entire uh, NRB and its members were just clamoring to hear George W. Bush. From their viewpoint, he was just one of them, and uh, they just thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. So I will never forget when George W. Bush stood up in front of these thousands of people, and what he did was wink at them. He didn't tell them a straight-out message that would align themselves himself with them. He just winked at them. Literally, that's what he did. It was his way of saying to them, look, I'm one of you, without actually telling them. What I see here is Donald Trump has come out and said, I am one of you. You may not like my background. You may not like my divorces. You may not like some of the things that I have done, but I'm one of you in reality because I am embracing the fundamental truths that you say you believe in. Now, that's the message that I'm getting from Donald Trump. What message do you get? Well, I think uh, Eric Trump said it best when he said, my father was a blue-collar billionaire. (laughs) (laughs) which I I think is basically true. Uh, I think that uh, Donald Trump is so wrapped up in his own uh, work ethic, his own goals, his own history, that he sees no reason why America can't replicate it and be great again. And he's right. And uh, just, look, the basis of liberalism is pessimism. It shouldn't be that way. They should be optimistic about human nature, but they're not. Their basic thing is pessimism. Things can't be any better. This is the best we can hope for. All right. And Reagan Reagan said no, and Trump has said no. We could go for much better and much greater, and uh, each of those presidents led us in that direction. Right. And then (laughs) their successors tried to pull us back, and that's where we are right now. Now, if we say that our fundamental purpose is a great economy, if we say that our fundamental reason for being, or raison d'etre, is, um, you know, everybody owns uh, their own house and two or three cars and a garage and lives happily ever after, uh, that may be the fruit of a deeper root, but it's not the fundamental purpose. The fundamental purpose goes back to why do we even exist as a nation? What was our purpose as a people? And believe it or not, uh, 12 of the original 13 colonies expressed in their founding documents that the foundation reason for the existence of this country and for those colonies was what is called the Great Commission, which is the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ across the seven seas and the seven continents. We've lost that sense today. And it seems to me that there's a lot of confusion now, even among so-called evangelical Christians, 
Why should I vote for Donald Trump? He doesn't, uh, I don't like the way he deals with his tweets. I don't like those kinds of things. Can't he be more civilized? Can't he be more, uh, more like everybody else in the political realm? But in the process, I think we're losing sight of who he really is and how he's being used to give us a hope and a purpose. Right. Uh, nice guys to finish last in Washington. Uh, it's a vicious swamp and filled with alligators. And uh, if you, if he tried to emulate the style of people like Bush, he'd end up with the results. Exactly. Which is no fundamental change at all. No uh, fundamental to ask him change. To be, to be asked him to be kinder and gentler is like telling George Patton as he fought the Wehrmacht, can't you be a nicer guy? <laughs> you can't pocket the results and just the means. And, for example, Kim Jong-un in North Korea. In the, last, in the four years of the Trump presidency, he behaved himself. No bombs, no missiles, nothing. As soon as Trump left office, he began testing again. That's because in the first couple of months of Trump in office, Kim Jong-un gave a speech where he said, I have a button that could destroy America. And Trump said, hey, Buster, I have a bigger button than you do. And that was not very diplomatic speech. It was the kind of tweet that outrages people. But it worked. He was intimidated, and he never he haven't heard anything from him since then until Trump left office. Uh, the way he intimidated Putin and didn't touch Ukraine, uh, he did under Obama and he did under under Biden, but didn't dare do it under Trump. And he, the, or the way he intimidated uh, the U.S. senator, the, the Republican senators, passing his tax package with no changes at all uh, because he basically threatened them with political oblivion. So nice guys don't work in Washington. He's the bull in the china shop, and that's what we need. And he certainly has a, a view and an experience in the background that has proven that he knows how to do what needs to be done. And yep. he is refusing to embrace the new godless globalist agenda. I really appreciate, right. Dick, you're joining us here on the program today. Well, uh, I the book, a lot. friends, The Return, $16. We'll put the book in your hands. It's on our website, yes. saveus.org. You give us a call at 1 800 Save USA. That's 1 800 Save USA. And uh, we've got a lot to think about. We've got a lot to pray about, friends. These are difficult times. Maybe the stakes are higher than you think. Maybe they are. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.